My name is Jeff Harbach. I'm the CEO of Coffin Fellows and an MBA graduate of the University of Texas at Austin. The Latter-day Saint MBA Society was founded by a group of MBA students and alumni who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the hope of bringing together a community of business people striving to bless the world. In this podcast, you'll hear interviews with Latter-day Saint thought leaders that we hope will inspire you both in your professional and spiritual life. For more information about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society, visit latterdaysaintmba.com. And I'll pass it over to Kurt Frankham, who will host this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast and I'd like to welcome in uh, Bruce Larson. How are you, Bruce? I'm excellent, Kurt. Thank you very much. Good to awesome. be here. Well, I'm excited to uh, make this interview happen and to learn from you and your experience. This is actually the second interview that I've done with you, but the first one was over on my uh, uh, full-time podcast, Leading Saints, and we had a great discussion with uh, with a past ward member of yours that uh, maybe that that's teaser enough for people to go check it out. But I, I uh, was impressed by your perspective there, just as your time, you know, we talked about a little bit of your time serving as a Bishop and whatnot, but uh, this is cool to, to do it again. So yeah, are you ready fun. for this? I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> nice. So maybe just uh, give us a little background on uh, where you were, where you were raised in your faith development. Sure. So I was born and raised in Salt Lake city, um, which is where I met my wife and, uh, been a lifelong member of the church. And, um, I've been fortunate to kind of have that be an important, very important part of who I've been. Um, you know, so, yeah. And what, what did your uh, parents do for, for work growing up? So parents were both passed away. Um, mother was at home and father, um, worked for uh, a, a company called Castleton's that if you're my age or older, you might remember. Um, <laughs> okay. It was a, a retail clothing store. Um, so pretty humble um, backgrounds from that standpoint. Um, neither graduated from college, uh, but I had amazing grandparents on both sides uh, who were very, very supportive of my educational and professional pursuits in a way that my parents weren't able to be just given their lack of experience. And uh, so hugely uh, grateful for their influence. Yeah. So before we jump into some some of the details of your educational and professional experience, maybe just let's hit on the the high points of every stop that you've made made from high school to your your current position. So where where did you go to high school? I went to high school Skyline High School in okay. Salt Lake City, and uh, married a girl that went to Olympus High School, the arch rival. Oh wow. <laughs> um, so and, you want me to just kind of walk yeah, through? And then, so, yeah. Then hit, hit the other um, points. Graduated from the University of Utah um, with dual degrees in finance and Japanese, having served a mission in Japan. Uh, I was one of those people in that unique window where the church experimented with eighteen-month missions. So I was called on a two-year mission, but got a call five months into my mission saying, "Elder Larson, you're going home six months early." Um, so that was weird and unexpected. Uh, came back and finished my degree uh, at the U and decided I wanted to get an MBA. Um, knowing that I'm, I've always been very impatient, I didn't want to go work for a couple of years and then apply. So I applied to a bunch of programs, hoping to go straight out of school and got lucky and got into the University of Chicago. And so went straight to Chicago and uh, was super fortunate coming out of that to get an internship with um, Merrill Lynch between my first and second years, which I was fortunate enough to parlay into a full-time offer at Goldman Sachs um, upon graduation. And I spent 32 years there. Oh, wow. Doing um, all kinds of things. I started as a banker 
in the mortgage slash financial institutions group. And then I moved into the M&A group, which took me to Japan and Hong Kong. And then I came back and spent time as the chief of staff to the CFO. And then I was global head of HR for Goldman during the five-year period that they went public. So I was heavily involved in that IPO and all of the crazy stuff that went on there and then held a number of other uh, roles and um, had the opportunity in 2012 to move back to Salt Lake for a couple of years to be closer to aging parents um, and was fortunate that Goldman had a, a large and growing office there. So I was able to go there and be the COO there before they asked me to go back to Asia and spent another four years uh, in Hong Kong um, where I was a partner and was ready to come back. And Goldman wanted me to go back into the job that I was in before, which I wasn't very interested in. So I did for the first time in my career called a couple of headhunters and found myself uh, working at a big client of Goldman's, uh, the Carlisle group as their head nice. of HR, which I've been doing since the end of, of um, 2019. Awesome. So let's uh, pivot back to the beginning of that timeline with it, being in high school. Did you have any inkling that, of what you wanted to do or going, going into business or? So I was, so up until high school, I was convinced I was going to be a pediatrician. Uh -huh. I realized through high school, I hated science. So that was probably <laughs> not going to work out. Yeah. Um, went on my mission, convinced I was going to be an international lawyer and spending time in Japan, you know, sort of fueled that uh, idea. Uh, but the thought of doing three years of graduate school instead of two years sort of <laughs> persuaded me to head the business route. Yeah. And um, in my last year and a half of uh, undergrad, really diving into finance courses really you know, told me that's what I wanted to do. And, and so that's how that ended up heading that direction. Nice. And would you say, um, going on your mission to Japan, did that influence, uh, your, your career path at all specifically? It influenced what it did, not so much the profession, but it opened my mind that there was a whole world out there. Oh yeah. Um, that I was completely unaware of and I was very excited by that. And so then the, the thought of international law or business, um, uh, you know, across the globe sounded fascinating. Although when I joined Goldman out of business school, I never had any idea or intention of moving to Japan. That, that sort of came about very uniquely. I had been working on an M&A transaction in Puerto Rico and uh, the partner on that deal was sitting next to me on a plane and somehow heard from somebody that I spoke Japanese, uh, which I don't know how we actually he heard about. <laughs> And he said, I just came from a meeting where we're, we're trying to expand our Tokyo M&A group. And uh, how would you like to move to Japan? And I said, great, done. Let's do it. And uh, literally four months later, my wife and I moved to Japan with a two and a half year old and a four month old. Um, oh, wow. And that changed the whole trajectory and opportunity set that I had over the course of my career. So that was a, that was a big, important turning point for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've, uh, you spent some time in Hong Kong as well. Did you, did you pick up much uh, Mandarin through this? Uh, no, <laughs> I could, I could tell a taxi how to stop and go straight. And that's a, that's about it. Oh, okay. Nice. Fortunately, fortunately in Hong Kong, you don't, at least you didn't, you need a little more now. You didn't need much foreign language to get around. It's a, it's pretty much a, uh, an English city. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you come up from your mission and you still had some time to, to go at the university of Utah. Is that? Yep. I did a, okay. I did a year before my mission, uh, and then came back in again. I, I mentioned I was impatient. I crammed three years of school into two years, um, and, uh, was ready to get out of there, uh, after two years being back from my mission. Yeah. And then uh, why don't you go straight into MBA school? Um, in hindsight, do you, 
do you suggest that path or is there benefit in, in taking time or what, what would you say now? There's, there's clearly benefits to taking time um, because you have greater experience and greater perspective that you can offer the program. So I didn't have that experience and perspective to offer, but I knew a lot about myself and knew that had I gotten out in the workforce, the likelihood of my hitting the pause button going back to school was going to be close to zero. And so I thought I'd, I'd give it a shot and if it worked out great, if it didn't, I'd, you know, I'd worry about an MBA down the road, but got you know, really fortunate. Um, I've got into a, a great school without having to, to mm-hmm. delay that for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, was there other, other schools you were hoping to get into, or were you just happy that uh, university of Chicago took you? Uh, look, I applied to five schools, um, got into one. Um, oh, okay. Uh, you know, the other schools I applied to were all top schools. And so I, I may have chosen one of those over the school I, I ended up going to, but, was going to be happy with, with any of them. So I was, I was thrilled when I opened that letter and saw that they were willing to take me. Nice. And do you still have many connections or, you know, business connections with, with Chicago that uh, connects you to the, the school or not so much. I, I did for the first call it 15 years of my career. I was actively involved in recruiting for Goldman and would go there on a regular basis um, and loved it. But as life has moved on and, uh, you know, I've moved around the world. I've, I've had less of an opportunity to be as closely affiliated as I would have liked. I, I still remain close with both the university of Utah and BYU, which is where all of my kids have gone to school. So, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, and then just said, what do you remember just from being a, a student or is there specific advice you give to, you know, ingoing MBA students as they're preparing to, you know, have this, roughly two year experience that will hopefully propel them into a professional life. Yeah. Look, I think, um, I remember my first day there sitting in the auditorium for this orientation and there was someone in front of me speed reading the wall street journal, you know, scanning it with their fingers, slipping pages. And I thought, Holy cow, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one admissions mistake and they're going to figure this out very quickly. Um, I, I realized after a couple months that I, wasn't an admission mistake. And I was, I had as much to offer as, as anybody. And I think that's an important thing to, to keep in mind as you enter a program is that unless you were an admissions mistake and these schools are pretty sophisticated, so I don't think they make many, you've yeah. got something to offer and to be confident about that. And it may mm-hmm. take you a little while to figure out exactly what it is you have to offer or why you were meant to be there. Um, but that first day was intimidating as heck. I remember going mm-hmm. home to my wife thinking, I, Boy, I'm sorry we moved to Chicago, honey. This may be a big mistake, um, but it like we ended up surviving just fine, and um, I made a, a ton of incredible friends. One of the things that has been that was most fun about my MBA experience was the exposure to a whole bunch of different people from different cultures and different backgrounds, some from different parts of the world, um, and we all helped each other get through that experience together. And that was that was a great experience because that's kind of molded how I've managed to navigate my way through my career as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what do you remember just starting into your professional life out of MBA school, Mm -hmm. any regrets you have or moments that were, were more encouraging than others? Um, I didn't have any regrets. My wife and I went into it knowing that it was going to be really hard work. And we sort of made a commitment that look as horrible as it might be, we're going to do it for two years. And if after that, you know, we, we will have had a foundation and we can go do something else, but let's, let's stick it out for that. I realized pretty quickly I was different in a lot of ways in that I was the only member of my associate class that was married. Um, and my wife was pregnant. We had a kid three months after I joined. 
And I remember going to some training program we had on a Saturday about a year into my job and I was holding an infant on my arm, you know, on my lap. And I was literally the only one there that did that. Um, and I kind of got comfortable being different and that was okay. And it, it helped reinforce, you know, I didn't hide my religion. I didn't hide the fact that I followed the word of wisdom, that I like to go to church on Sundays. And if you can do that and be professionally competent, I gained incredible respect by doing that. And that just gave me more confidence to, live my life the way I wanted to live it. Um, even though almost everywhere I've been, I've been in, you know, a, a big minority of, um, or a small minority. Um, and, uh, and th those are a couple of things that I remember very clearly. Yeah. You know, that uh, approach is really interesting as far as, you know, saying we're going to take two years and no matter how, how hard it is, we're going to stick it out. I think a lot of people walk into maybe a graduate school program with that mindset, but then maybe not have that, but, oh, you know, after, but it's interesting to maybe approach a professional life that this is just an extension of our education, but we're in the, this is our job now and we're going to dedicate it just like we would to extended education. Yeah. It's funny. My wife and I naively, I remember us having this conversation about how much easier life would be when we were out of grad school. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know what we were thinking, but life got, <laughs> life's only gotten more complicated as it's gone on. Um, but we just knew that to make the investment in business school, worthwhile, that first job and that first set of experience that kind of establishes your professional foundation were going to be really important. And I also realized, you know, how incredibly lucky and blessed I was to get an opportunity to work at Goldman Sachs. And I, I didn't want to waste that opportunity. And so I spent um, those first two years knowing, and I, you know, had lots of all-nighters and lots of crazy hours. Um, but knowing that that would pay off if I could, you know, survive that first little bit and sort of had a conversation every year after that, you know, does it make sense to do this for another year? And we answered it affirmatively for 32 times, I guess. Yeah. You know, I was just the other day listening to just a random interview clip with a former, uh, high, I think it was, a, you know, the second pick in, in one year in the NFL draft. And he talks about how now he consults with brand new quarterbacks about that the goal isn't to get into the NFL. The goal is to get the the contract extension, right? And so those first couple of years, you can't just say, "Great, I'm going to buy the big house, the nice car, and and you know this career should last forever." And um, and so I'm curious, you know, sort of the similar approach. What would you say to a new professional? Like, what are they trying to accomplish in those first couple of years when it is really intense? Yeah. For me, I had there were there were a couple of things that were important to me. One was I knew it was an important time to credentialize myself. Mm you know, work at a firm that was known and, and, you know, having that on my resume would be a value. I also wanted to learn kind of a foundational set of professional skills, how to communicate, how to handle pressure, how to make judgments around prioritization and trade-offs and, and that type of thing. Um, but I also wanted it to be fun. I didn't want it to be all drudgery. So to me, it was kind of those three things that were most important. Mm. Um, credentialize yourself, learn some foundational skills that would be relevant wherever you went after that and to have fun along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, are, what would you say those skills that you picked up during those first couple of years were? So one was, um, remaining calm under pressure. Mm. Um, I joined Goldman and, and, uh, four months later they had the big market crash of, um, uh, of 87. And, you know, we kind of thought our whole class was going to get laid off and, uh, it was a, it was a scary time. And then, you know, over 32 years, there's been numerous market cycles and 
and turmoil and upheaval in a, in a very volatile industry. And learning to remain calm under pressure, um, I think has made me into a better leader. Mm. Um, it's made me more effective, be more effective in rallying teams and troops to go a certain direction. If you're remaining, remaining calm in the, in the face of, uh, a lot of pressure. Um, and I've also, it also taught me to be myself. Um, literally from the day I, I started till today, everybody knows what my faith is and what my beliefs are. And yeah. I've never tried to hide that. Cause I always had the view if they don't want me part of the team based on what they know about me, I don't want to be part of that team and I should go to something else anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately I've never been, you know, been faced with, with anything but support from most of the people I've worked with. Yeah. So if you were to give a, a crash course, to somebody, uh, a leader on remaining calm under pressure, uh, what would you say? <laughs> to me, it's all been about keeping things in the workplace in their proper perspective. And I think that's where being a member of the church is quite helpful because, you know, we're meant to have a little bit more eternal perspective on life. And I've always focused on keeping my family relationships in their proper perspective. And I've kind of always been of the attitude, like if, if they put a bullet in me tomorrow and I'm out of a job, I have a great marriage. I have great kids. Life will be fine. And so that's just allowed any work crisis to sort of come down to a level where like we can deal with this. It's fine. It's, this is, yeah. It's just a job. Um, that didn't mean I didn't take those situations very seriously because I did, but a lot, I think it allowed me to look at them with a level of clarity um, and vision that was just calmer than somebody whose whole life depended on whether they kept that job. Yeah. Um, and I learned pretty quickly that that made others around me calmer and, and that was a good thing. And, you know, people saw that in me and gave me more responsibility because of partly because of that. And and I think that was really helpful. Yeah. So when you think back on those, those two years, you know, the beginning of your, uh, of your career, and then obviously I would imagine there's been a handful of other years that have been extremely intense, but as far as like, uh, you know, the spiritual component of who you are and whatnot, is it simply just make sure you're prioritizing certain things or what advice would you give to those that are in an intense time uh, in regards to the spiritual matters? Yeah, look, I think from a spiritual standpoint, making sure that you're, you're not compromising your faith and your beliefs um, and staying true to what you believe will help you through those things. Now that's different than saying, I'm going to be the absolute best in the world at my church calling all of the time. Yeah. Like there's been times in my life where, you know, I haven't been able to be that as good as I'd like to be um, because of, you know, especially earlier on in my career when, when I was juggling a lot of things and sometimes I'd, you know, have to go into the office on Sunday when I didn't want to and that type of thing. But as I've gone into my life, those experiences have also prepared me to be a much more effective church leader later on. Um, and it's sometimes easy to confuse executing a church calling with your commitment to the gospel and your faith. Hmm. They're, they're two slightly different things. I'm not saying you should disregard them, but you shouldn't beat yourself up if you're going through a, a tough period, either because of family situation or work situation where you're not able to fulfill your calling as magnificently as you'd always like to. <clears throat> as long as you don't let your faith crumble, you'll have that opportunity again and, you can make up for it in ways later on that will, I, I, you know, I think make up for it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, working for, you know, Golden Sachs for, was it 32 years that you've been there? Yeah. And 
I mean, I guess that's, uh, is, I would assume it's more rare than, than, than it used to be as far as being at that, that, uh, that career or that one company that long. But I mean, what, uh, was there anything to say for that? Or it was, it just, it just seemed to work out the more opportunities they gave you or. So yeah, look for, for me, <clears throat> it was a couple of things. One, it was a culture in which I felt very comfortable and I knew I could optimize my own personal contributions and performance. I was also given a whole series of different opportunities along the way. I didn't like do the same job I joined in 32 years earlier. Um, every couple of years I was doing a different job, sometimes in a different location. And so I never really got bored. Um, and the first time that I was going to be bored, which was when I was leaving Asia in 2019 was the first time I looked somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice uh, benefit to me to not have to move so much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> nice. Um, as far as like, uh, let's see how many years you were in Japan with Goldman Sachs for how many so years? I, so the first time I was there, I was with, I was in Japan three years in Hong Kong for a year. So four years total, that was from 90 to 94. And then went back to Hong Kong in 2015 to 2019. So four okay. years, the second time. Nice. And what are your reflections on just moving to, you know, internationally, Obviously, I bet it was you know an extra benefit that since you serve your mission in Japan to go back there and speak the language that you love and whatnot. But um, what uh, I, I would imagine you would hope that many people get the opportunity to take their family overseas and live and experience culture and whatnot. But is there anything else to that that you'd that would help encourage people to maybe lean into that? Look, I for for me there were so many benefits. One is um, it differentiated me from a whole bunch of people who started at the firm the same time I did, right? Mm -hmm whole different set of experiences and skills that I was able to develop because of that. On the personal side, to be able... The first time we moved there, we had little teeny kids. So I'm not sure how much they got out of it. Um, although they were exposed to a different culture, um, the friends you make in that kind of environment are... They're just unreal because they're... You know, other US families or foreign families being sent to a foreign land and you bond in a way that... Um, you know, I really haven't bonded with people since, um, the second time we moved, uh, my younger kids were all married and gone, but we had our youngest with us who was in high school. And so for him to be able to experience a foreign culture, um, you know, with his parents in a way that you wouldn't with a three-year-old or a four-year-old was, you know, just created priceless memories for him and for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it's you, also you, I, the other thing I would sorry the other thing I would add is the opportunity to experience the gospel in a foreign land, not as a missionary, was just amazing. Um, you know, obviously I was in expat wards and so very internationally oriented wards, but in Hong Kong I had the opportunity to serve in the district presidency that included <clears throat> all of the international districts in Hong Kong. So. Mandarin speaking branches and Filipino branches and to be able to interact with and see the faith of members living in a foreign land under very different circumstances than I was in was just so rewarding, just, um, so faith reaffirming and, you know, priceless experience. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you sent a few uh, principles as far as things that you may suggest or encourage to an audience, Latter-day Saint professionals. And uh, you've touched on some of these a little bit, but the first one is uh, decide now as far as your faith is concerned and whatnot. What else would you have to, to say about that? You know, it, I think it's important to have a couple of non-negotiable principles. Um, 
to help you as you face challenges and decisions as you go through life. Um, and for my wife and I, one was that like, we're, we're true to the gospel. It doesn't matter what's going on. And so I was never in a position where I had to make a decision of as to which was more important work or the gospel or, you know, my family or work or things like that. Just, it helps you cut through a lot of noise. Um, and unfortunately I've seen, you know, a few people over the course of my career who've, whose judgment has been blurred at times. And it seemed like they didn't have that commitment that they were sticking with the gospel, regardless of what life threw in their way, either because it was too difficult or something else was more tempting or more intriguing. And for me, I'm just grateful that we've made that kind of a non-negotiable thing. And that's just helped us sort through a lot of big decisions that we've faced uh, over the course of many years as our family has grown and evolved and, you know, just made it a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, are there certain examples that come to mind as far as, you know, general examples of what that may look like? Obviously there's the moment of, you know, being at the, uh, you know, at the party and, you know, you, you turn down alcohol or whatever it is, but is, are there any other uh, examples that maybe people wouldn't expect as readily going into a professional career? Yeah. I mean, like the, I'm not going to drink at a cocktail party that that's super easy. Cause you got to decide that like, yeah. <laughs> like the minute you show up at business school, when you leave Utah, like that, that, that was just, that, that was super easy. Um, but more profound things like, um, I was asked at one point in my career to move to India, uh, for Goldman with the promise of becoming, uh, a, a partner if I made that move. And for me, having just moved back from Hong Kong the first time, our daughter was struggling in school as a result of those experiences. And, it just wasn't worth it to me to put my child through another upheaval for something that would benefit my career. And so I told yeah. the firm, no. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't even have to really think about it or discuss it. I mean, I, I discussed it with my wife and she said, of course, we'll support you and let's go. And I said, it's not the right thing for us to do for, for our daughter. Yeah. And you know, some people might look at that and say like, why would you tread off such an unbelievable career opportunity for a five-year-old who's going to be fine. Like, but you know, if you prioritize your family as being the most important thing, it makes made that big decision really easy. And I don't look back and regret for one minute that we made that call. And that was, the, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, another time, um, I was asked to go do some other job at Goldman. I didn't want to do. And I said, and my three older kids were in high school. And I told the firm, look, I want to keep doing the job that I'm doing, but I really want to work three days a week. Uh, and kind of assuming they would say no. And then I was going to figure out, all right, it's time to leave Goldman, but they said yes. Oh, and wow. so I spent three and a half years well into my career working three days a week, um, which was amazing for my family. Also was luck or uh, heaven would have, would have it six months after making that decision, I also got called to be the Bishop, um, in our ward. And I had extra time on my hands to deal with a, a big and challenging and growing ward. Mm. Um, and you know, the decision I made to, to move back to Salt Lake city to be closer to aging parents was not a career enhancing move. It was the right thing to do as a, a son and a son-in-law to parents who we wanted to be there closer to care for them in their, uh, last couple of years. And that too led to opportunities subsequently that were incredible. But I had a lot of colleagues say, what, like, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? That's mm -hmm. not, you know, your career trajectory is going the wrong way. 
and it was all fine with me. Like I, I knew I was making those decisions for the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, you know, it's not always this, you know, heavy moral choice or somebody, you know, in the back room is telling you to, to fudge the numbers or something, but it's more of like just this having a broader perspective of what you really want out of life. It's not all about the next career, uh, you know, uh, career move or the step up the, the hierarchy or whatever it is. It's, uh, you got to consider yeah. it all. Right? I mean, I think that's a really good point. I've never been asked over the course of my career to lie, steal, be dishonest. I've, I've never, I've never been faced with any of those kind of ethical moral dilemmas. It's been yeah. more subtle. Do I do this thing, which will clearly benefit my career, but if I do, it's going to, there's going to be a family cost. Yeah. Those are the decisions that I think are more profound. And for me, I've always chosen to do the thing that was going to be best for my family because, because of my perspective and I've never once regretted any of them. And, and maybe I would have achieved a certain level of success faster had I not done that. But I don't look back and feel like my career has been diminished in any way because of those decisions. Yeah. And you know, when you talk about deciding now uh, or early on in your, your life, was it a specific conversation between you and your wife you remember, or was it just something you always, you know, as you make decisions, you're always processing together or, I mean, what did that look like as far as deciding? Yeah. I mean, look, part of it was conversations we had before we got engaged about, what are your priorities? What are my priorities as, as it relates to the gospel and family choices? And we were <clears throat> completely aligned on that before we ever got married. But then you start going through life experiences and it, it puts to test that commitment you made. And we just kept reaffirming with each other that that was important and it's never, never going to change. And I'll help keep you honest. You help keep me honest. And you know, it served us very, very well. And, you know, we just celebrated our 38th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Got five kids who are my best friends in the whole world. I wouldn't trade any of that for any other success I could have had professionally. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and this sort of transitions smoothly into this other principle as far as family first. Anything, you know, obviously these principles go together, but anything you haven't mentioned that would relate more to that, that family first and, uh, approach? Look, I, I think it's not all about. Look, I've had plenty of points in my career where I've had to work late nights and I've had to miss something for the family I didn't want to miss, et cetera. But I don't think my family's ever had a question that they've come first uh, to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's important um, when you have those moments and those opportunities to reinforce to your family that you love them and they're the most important thing to you. You've got to make the most of them. Um, and that's hard when you're working a tough job and you come home at the end of the day and you're exhausted and you'd really like to just sit in front of the TV and watch Sports Center and not help a kid with their homework or talk to your kid about what they're doing or color in a coloring book or watch SpongeBob SquarePants or something (laughs) that's important to them so that you can bond together. Um, And I think, again, it's one of those things that if you establish it as a priority and you keep it a priority, knowing that that's going to be work, um, it just pays huge dividends over time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome advice. Um, And then this concept of, uh, I don't know if I worded it well here in my notes, but it's, you know, never changing as far as how you're treating people. And I think we all want to be, you know, the, the boss, the professional that even treats the, the janitor as, you know, an equal human being. And, and we all want that, but how would you unpack this concept? And then how, what did it look like in, in real life? You know, I just early on in my career, I saw people who didn't treat other people that way, mm. the people of power and, and seniority and influence. And I saw how, you know, there's some group of people that were 
inspired by that or thought that was cool to be so important that you could ignore people of a lesser station than you, but it always turned my stomach. And I just had made a commitment to myself that I'm, I might be successful professionally. I might be a disaster, but I'm not going to change how I treat people. Um, and part of that, look, I think clearly comes from my belief in the gospel and that we're all children of the same father in heaven. And just because your job, you know, pays you five ninety five an hour and mine doesn't, doesn't mean you're less important to our father in heaven and you deserve the same level of respect. And that approach is, has helped me in numerous different places and positions over the course of my life, both inside the church and outside of the church. And I think it's one of those things that if people don't respect you for that, you don't want or need their respect. They're not, they're not the people you're worried about, but for those people who notice and care about that kind of thing, that's something I'm really proud of. Yeah. And was this just a habit of, uh, you know, greeting those that you work around regardless of what their, their role is. And, and are there any specific stories come to mind as far as how you implemented this, this uh, effort? Look, I, th- I think it's, it's mostly just being willing to have a conversation with somebody. Um, and being interested, like when you see the executive assistant, um, on a Monday morning, how was your weekend? And like, actually be interested and ask a follow-up question. Don't just say, Oh, that's nice. And wander off. Like you really don't care. You're just saying that because that's what you say to somebody on a Monday morning or spending time to help somebody. Um, you know, knowing that somebody has got a family member that needs something and maybe you can be helpful or mostly it's just listening with a, a sincere heart and, trying to treat them like what they have to say is worth listening to. Um, no real earth shattering examples. Um, but just kind of a philosophy about how you, how you interact with people. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, so what was there a story behind as far as what led you to, uh, to leaving Goldman Sachs? I mean, was it just time or other opportunities? Maybe the aging parents or. Yeah, look, it was, um, we were ready to come back from Asia and Goldman wanted me to go back into a job that I had done before. And I wasn't that, that jazz by that notion. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I had just become empty nesters, um, which was surprisingly energizing to me, <laughs> um, in a, in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my wife said, we'll call some headhunters to see what else is out there. And I said, like, sweetie, I've been a Goldman 32 years. I don't even, I literally don't even, know what I'm doing. So I literally went on the internet, looked up kind of the five <laughs> big headhunters in the world and, and, uh, cold called their partner that covered their, um, HR practice and said, look, I'm a partner at Goldman. I'm leaving Asia. I'm coming back to the stage. You got anything interesting? And they all said, no. And it was delightful. And so I sort of checked that box. And then two weeks later, one of them called me back and said, I just got hired by the Carlisle group. They need a new head of HR. And I think you'd be great for it. And I said, that sounds really interesting. And three months later, I was negotiating my departure from Goldman and joining somebody new. Nice. And that's when it took you to, to DC. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that job was, uh, was in DC and I, uh, took three months of garden leave, uh, in between jobs and read a couple of books and took some vacations and, <laughs> and started at Carlisle and then hit the pandemic. And that, uh, that changed the nature of the job in a lot of complicated, but, but fortunate ways. Yeah. And so at this stage in your career, I mean, uh, what's on the horizon for you or what, what's got you energized to, at this stage? Um, look, one of the reasons I took this current job is, uh, there were a lot of things they wanted to do on the HR front that they'd never done before. And I knew that I could leverage a bunch of experiences I've had to make an imprint and make a difference. 
and had a hunch. You don't really know till you get there that the CEO and the leadership team were going to be supportive of that. And they have been. And even more so because we hit the pandemic and everything went on there that I feel like I've, I've really had the opportunity to, to make a difference in improving a company and how people feel about working at that company and feeling like I'm, I'm contributing in a way that, uh, it was really meaningful and rewarding. And, and I, I don't know that you could ask for a whole lot more, you know, at the, at this stage of your career. Yeah. Awesome. And as we wrap up here, is there any principle or, or point that came to mind that uh, we haven't covered yet to make sure we, we need to cover before we wrap up or. Like, I think um, I'd encourage people to be open to opportunities, be willing to take risk. L- moving to Japan when I did two years into my job was a big risk not so much personally, but professionally it was. And that opened a lot of doors and created a lot of opportunities that I didn't have the wisdom to foresee at the time, but turned out to be that way that have changed the course and trajectory of my career in a very positive way. And so I, I think being confident enough in your personal life and your priorities to be able to take career risk is a, is a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it'll work out. If it doesn't work out, everything else that matters to you is still in place. So what have you got to lose? Yeah. Um, the last question I have is just as you reflect back on your, your career and um, even, you know, your, your spiritual career in there, whatever that means, but just, you know, being a Latter-day Saint in the professional world, uh, how has it helped your, how has this path, uh, this path and, you know, in the professional life helped, helped your testimony of Jesus Christ? Look, it's helped me um, see and appreciate the value of having uh, a gospel centered life because you interact with a whole bunch of people who don't. And look, you see a lot of people are happy. I'm not saying that, that they're not happy, but um, so many times you get reminded of, of important aspects of people's lives that are missing <clears throat> and all the success and big paychecks in the world can't make up for that. And, um, you know, we talk in the gospel a lot about having an eternal perspective and, and keeping that mindset as you're going through a very um, temporal and temporary existence in a professional setting helps you keep it all in perspective. There's none of my professional successes um, are worth more than the relationships I have with my family and my testimony in the gospel. And I, you know, that's a big blessing to be able to at this, like I, I turned 60 this year. And so I don't have tons of years left, um, but to be able to sit here at this point in my career and life and have that perspective and be grateful for the things that I know will last well beyond uh, my last paycheck is is great. And I've tried to set that example for my kids, uh, that I hope will stick with them and maybe a few other people that have seen it along the way. Um, and that's, that's nice to feel like you, you've run a good race. Thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about our guests and visit latterdaysaintmba.com to find details about the Latter-day Saint MBA society.